Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. I'd like to welcome, to you, welcome you to our online service today. It's been almost a whole year since we've been able to gather together for a whole church service and to be able to enjoy one another's presence. Hopefully... It'll soon be over, but again, I just want to welcome you this morning and appreciate you listening and hope that God touches your heart in the way that he intends to work in our lives. Today, as you've already seen in the video, we are talking about iniquity. Now, have you ever been in a conversation with someone, neither you or the other person says something like, why are you getting so bent out of shape? I think in most instances when, instances, when the conversation comes to this point, you know that it's getting a little bit intense because after saying those words, the tension seems to ratchet up just a little bit. We recognize when this happens that in this conversation, someone is upset, agitated, or angry, maybe acting in a way that you wouldn't consider a normal reaction to the situation. I sometimes think of my life when I get angry sometimes and express that anger, my anger isn't necessarily on that situation, but it's because something has been brewing in my heart. And someone could very well say, why are you getting so bent out of shape over something as simple like spilt milk? Well, it's not the milk that is my issue. It's something that's been going on in my heart before then. So we ask that question, why are you getting so bent out of shape? Because to us, bent kind of means, or we get the sense of, that's just not a normal way to express yourself based on what's happening. Now today, we're going to look at the word iniquity. And as you learned, hopefully, from the video, the Hebrew word for iniquity is avon. It has a lot of meanings. We saw it meant wickedness, guilt, or sin. But that also carries the meaning of being bent. Bent out of shape, distorted, or crooked. And we also saw that it deals specifically with serious sins like lying, murder, adultery, corruption, and ignoring the injustice of the poor. But for today, we're going to put a little bit of a twist on that, maybe being a little bit bent, excuse the pun there. And, And I want us to see, not only from the Old Testament, but even from the New Testament, what iniquity, avon in Hebrew, or in Greek is anome, ah, Uh, to be able to see what is going on in our hearts when we talk about what it means to be bent. So again, as we learned from last week and hopefully from the rest of our lives, or from the rest of the lives that we've already lived, looking also at the fact that we understand the Bible, the Bible teaches that we, myself, and you included, everyone else that lives in the world, has a sin problem. But when I look at Harvest, and I wish that I could see all of you here, but if I could imagine you being here, when I look at harvest, I don't look at people who are stuck in a bone. I don't see people who are running around and murdering people. I don't look and see people who are lying like crazy to get their way, people who are dishonest and looking to get dishonest gain. But what I see is people who are good people, good citizens. Now, I don't mean perfect. And I know that we all have our flaws. Maybe you're saying, well, you don't really know me. And it's very possible that I don't. But I really just don't see the kind of wickedness that we kind of put in mind when we think of the words like avon. 
and wickedness. So I want to look at something a little bit different from us, uh, from what we normally see as iniquity, and I want us to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. I'm going to read them from the ESV, and uh, I found these verses very interesting, and as I went over them this week, I found them even more interesting each time that I looked at them. I've been looking at these verses now for maybe a year, year and a half with the youth group and other people in Bible studies, and uh, it always kind of just brings out something in me that makes me think a little bit more. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, Every time I read that passage, it just seems uh, a little odd to me. Because as I'm looking at these crowd of people who are getting ready to receive a reward from Jesus for the things that they have done, the recognition is there. They've done some really good things. I mean, if you think about it, they prophesied, they cast out demons, and they performed miracles. And I don't know about your Christian experience, but I do know about mine, and uh, I don't regularly practice exorcism, so I'm not sure if I've ever cast out a demon, even though we've tried a couple times. I haven't really performed any miracles, and so I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, I'm kind of behind the eight ball when it comes to these people. These are, these are good people. Now, in my mind, I kind of picture this scene that's going on in heaven, and it's like this, there's this, this, this crowd of people who've gotten together who've done these things. And they're getting ready for these rewards from Jesus. And they're thinking to themselves, it's going to be so cool to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And there's this growing excitement. And then Jesus gets to the end of the reward ceremony. And he says, and I, you know, again, this is just imagination. And he says, you know, amen, great rewards uh, ceremony. And these people who are waiting for this well done, thou good and faithful servant, don't hear anything. And so what they do is they, they raise their voices and they say, Lord, Lord, uh, hello, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? Why haven't you recognized us? And he goes, no, 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 I, I recognize you. You are workers of lawlessness. You are workers of bentness. If it were Hebrew, it would be avon, but if it's the Greek, what we're looking at is a word that is anomeia. So the idea is uh, when Jesus looks at them, he says, listen, you guys are wicked. You guys are bent. You're, you're crooked. There's something that's, that's broken within you. And now in my mind, if I'm observing that, I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, why are you so bent out of shape? Uh, why are you so uh, agitated, upset? Why, why aren't you looking at them, looking at all of the things that they are doing and saying, wow, that's really good? Because I think most of us, if we saw someone cast out a demon or perform a miracle, we're thinking, man, they're in a good spot. They know Jesus. But here we're learning that Jesus is saying, no, I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice bentness, you who practice in the Hebrew, avon, or in the Greek, anomea. You know, you practice these things, 
I never knew you. Depart from me. And that's just really strange to me. Now, there's two interpretations, I think, that you can when you look at this passage. The first one is, you could be looking at these people and you could be saying, well, you know, okay, they did these miracles, but we don't know their secret life. If you looked at their secret life, you would have seen that they were actually pretty wicked. They were really bad people. I mean, you could think of maybe, let's say if you said, well, they, they ran a big church, but this big church that they ran, uh, they were controlling. They were abusive. They were violent. And so the reason why Jesus says, depart from me, because even though they grew this big church in the name of Christ, lots of people came to Christ. Well, the problem is there was something in their secret life that was wrong. Or you could say, wow, they have an international ministry where, again, hundreds of thousands of people have come to Christ, but yet the hidden life that they had was one of great sexual misconduct, disturbing to the normal person, so bent, so crooked, that Jesus would say to them, hey, yeah, okay, that's great, but you didn't look at this part of your life. It's bent, it's crooked, it's wicked, it's evil, it's unjust. Because to us, when I hear this word lawless, when I think about iniquity, I think of things like domestic violence, spouses who abuse their spouses, controlling, mean, it could be physical abuse, it could be verbal abuse, it could be any kind of abuse, but any way of controlling or beating down someone. I think of child abuse. I think of human trafficking. I think of pornography and the rape culture that comes with that. Not an actual raping, but in a mindset of treating women like objects. And when I think of that, I go, yeah, that's wickedness. And so if Jesus is turning to these people and saying, yeah, you do some really good things, great things, in fact, but look at your secret life. Now, I don't know if I'm right. One day I may stand before Jesus and he may say, that was so wrong. But I think there's something different going on. <clears throat> I think the word used here, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, and it's going to be in Greek because it's in the New Testament, is the idea that you who practice bentness, there's something bent about the way you practiced your faith. It was so bent that when I look at you, I don't recognize you because you did not practice true faith in me, but you practiced something else. And so I call this bentness, this faith, this religion, because what we have to understand is that when Jesus is talking to these people, he's not talking to people who are wicked and have no faith. They have a lot of faith. Look at what they say to him in verse 22. They say, Lord, Lord. In other words, you are our Lord. You are the Lord. You are our Lord. We have given our, our lives to you. So it's not like they don't have a faith. They do have some faith, a subtle faith, but unfortunately, in my thinking, and I could be wrong, is that Jesus is saying, but your faith was bent. Because your faith was based on your works. You believed that if you did these great things that you actually knew me. But whether it's them looking at their secret lives or understanding that their religion got in the way of actually their relationship with Jesus, then the, the, the passage changes a little bit because everyone has a sin problem. Even these people who are prophesying. Even these people are casting out demons. Even these people who are doing miracles, they have a sin problem. And the only way to cure the sin problem, the only way to cure the iniquity problem, is to come to Jesus and trust what he has already done for us. But there are a lot of people throughout the church history, whether it's someone who sits in the pew, someone who is a pastor and preaches the word, someone who is a bishop, even someone who is a pope, we all have a sin problem. 
And we all look for a cure as religious people. And sometimes that cure, unfortunately, is bent because instead of simply looking to Jesus, we look at ourselves, we look at what do we do, and we say, I'm okay. Uh, let me give you an example. And I, and I say this because this is what I really think and feel. And it's going to get to a point, so please don't judge me until I get to that point. Well, I mean, you can judge me, but hopefully you'll forgive me if you judge me. I'll forgive you. But if you look at Matthew 25, and you look at all of the things that Jesus says, this is what you should do unto me. If you do this to these people, you've done it unto me. I look at that and I think, man, I've got straight A's here. I've thought about it. I've been at Willow Creek. I've helped feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty when we work at the care center. Uh, when strangers need help, I'm there. I can't tell you how many times I've stopped by the side of the road, helped somebody push the car off the main drag and get them into safety. I've helped strangers whenever I can. I've given clothes away. Uh, I visit people in hospitals. I've ministered to prisoners. I care for the orphans. In fact, we went so far because I'm so wonderful that we actually adopted two orphans. And I've been doing this for 33 plus years. Thank you very much. In other words, I can say, Lord, Lord, what a great guy I am. Look at my resume. Look at all of the things that I have done. And yet, I have to be honest and ask the question, do I know Jesus? Do I really know Jesus? Or have I wrapped my sin problem in a religious solution? Have I done all of these good things because I know Jesus? Or have I done all of these good things because it's part of my religion? See, I don't really know Jesus, I could be wondering. All I know is what I'm supposed to do. And so I'll do it. There's nothing that comes from my heart at all. And I think when I ask that question, someone might say, why are you always asking that question? Doesn't that make your faith insecure? Doesn't it really make you wonder, so for the rest of the life, your life, you're going to live in fear? And my answer is, is no, because my answer to that is found in verse 21. Yes, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. How can you have this security? Because you obey Jesus. But it's not just simple obedience. Because I'd have to believe those who are prophesying in his name, those who are casting out demons in his name, those who are doing miracles in his name, are thinking that they're obeying, and in a sense they are doing the good things that God would want to be done. But there's something missing, and I have to believe that one thing that is missing is that when Jesus talks about obedience, when Jesus talks about doing the will of the Father who is in heaven, he's not just talking about works and actions, but a heart that is connected to it as well. Now, that seems like a pretty harsh statement in some ways because what we're saying is works aren't enough. Trying to be obedient isn't enough. But I think it's true because our heart has to enter into the equation, our love for Jesus. Because remember, last week we learned what sin is. Sin is not loving God and it's not loving others as God has commanded us. But if we just do works just for the sake of works, and I can do that. I can say, you know what? Why do I go to the Willow Creek Care Center? It's my job. I'm supposed to lead the youth group. I'm supposed to go there. I might say, you know what? It actually makes me feel good. When I help people, I feel good about myself. Or it's just the right thing to do. 
See, but if there's no love in that, it's not being Jesus. What has Scripture called us to do? Scripture has called us to be like Jesus. Not just do the works of Jesus, but to love like Jesus. So I can do all sorts of great things, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. And I believe I mentioned this in the last message as well. I can do all of these things, but without love, they are nothing. And so I think Jesus here is speaking to a religious people, church people, people who go to online services, people who may come to the uh, in-person service, people who do small groups, people who do all kinds of ministries, people who are helping other people, caring, giving, being generous. But he would say, listen, I'm speaking to you, religious people. You're doing all of these good things, but you have no love. You see, Jesus' complaints towards the church at Ephesus was not the fact that they weren't doing things. He commended them. He said, wow, you guys are great, man. In fact, if there's an apostate who comes along, you point them out. You are a hard-working church, but you have lost this, your love. You become religious. You don't have this relationship with me anymore. There's not, there's not that closeness. And so when I look at this passage, when Jesus says to them, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, what I think, my sec- which I think is the second imp- interpretation of this, is he's saying, you people who practice religion, you people who might be obedient but have no love, you missed the point. I don't know you. We're not in a relationship. And I think, again, when I look at Harvest, I don't see crazy wickedness. I'm sure it exists. I would imagine there is spousal abuse at Harvest. I would imagine, and hopefully that it's not there at all, but it might be, child abuse. I would, I would imagine that there are, are people who are looking at pornography. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of wickedness that exists in our church, but it's not outright. It's not out there for us to see. So what we see are a bunch of religious people, and one day, we may stand together as a harvest, and Jesus says to some of us, depart, because I never knew you. Because you practiced lawlessness. Your religion was bent. You did not love me. In fact, you didn't even really obey me. You might have done some things, but because you lacked that love and your obedience, I don't know you. There's no relationship. And so to me, it's a little bit more powerful, and it's probably because I am religious, but it's a little bit more powerful because I recognize <clears throat> if I do stuff just for me, I've missed the point. Now, don't get me wrong. You can't not do anything. You can't not do anything and know Jesus. You can't say, oh, I just I have these expressions of affection for Jesus. He warms my heart. He warms my soul. But do something? No, I don't have to do that. All I got to do stuff. No, I'm not saying that. Because I think following Jesus, when his love has touched your heart and it overflows from your heart, you will do things. Not because you have to, but because you want to. How can I express this joy? I think of it this way. Like when I get Christmas gifts from people at Harvest, I don't sit there and go, oh man, I got $200 in gift cards to let us entertain you restaurants. I can't wait to eat there myself. I think I'm so touched by the generosity of others that I I turn around and say, all right, kids, let's go. I want to share this blessing with you. And it's the same thing or similar with Jesus. 
when he has so blessed us and our hearts are outpouring, we want to love everyone else. We want to love God. We want to love others. It comes from our heart. So I'm not saying don't do anything. What I am saying is when you do what you do, it must be reinforced with a heart of love. A sense of love. I'm doing this because I love you, Jesus. And so this passage here, I don't think that Jesus is saying, hey, you guys have a secret life. Shame on you. I think he's talking to very religious people, a lot like harvest people. And he's saying, you don't know Jesus. You don't know me. And when that time comes, he's going to say, depart. Not because you were bad people. Because you're good people. You're good citizens. You do what's right. And what we, I mean, when I think about this, I think about youth group. We try to teach them, don't just be good citizens. Don't just be good people. Don't just be moral people. Be lovers of Jesus. And when you love Jesus, you will love people and you will do what is right. That's what we try to teach. And I think sometimes as adults, we lose that because we think if I've got this religion and I've had this religion for 30 plus years, 40 plus years, I'm okay. And we're not. Reminds me of a book that Richard Baxter wrote in the 1600s. It was called The Reformed Pastor. And he said, how many of you pastors preach the gospel day in and day out and yet you don't know Jesus? That scares me to think that one day I might stand before God and say, look at all my work. And he says, who are you? I never knew you. So I want us to see that we all have a sin problem. But our sin problem may not be the iniquity of great wickedness or horrible secret life. And I have to imagine that there are those of us at Harvest who have that secret life. But for most of us, it's the religious life that blinds us from really knowing Jesus. And I think that's what the message for us today, and I could be wrong, but that message of the idea that iniquity is that bentness that we have in our relationship, which really isn't a relationship, and has become religion. If you do your religion just because it's what you do, it's what you have been enculturated with, then you have missed the point. The call of God is to know him. Not to work for him, but to know him. But then we're stuck, aren't we? Because we still have a sin problem. This is the beauty, because as we, as we looked at that, that was the, the New Testament version of Avon. Now the Old Testament version of Avon, we find in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 6. And this is what Isaiah writes. And it's, it's beautiful because it's the suffering servant and it's solving the problem, our iniquity, our own issue, our lawlessness with a Savior. We need a Savior, not a religion. He writes, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And the idea here is that, that we have these, these um, the sin, this iniquity and lawlessness, as we'll see on later on, and, and it's, what has happened? Jesus has come. The suffering servant has come. And he's not only lifted it up and said, there, I got it. Okay, here, now you take it. He's not only lifted it up, but he put it on his shoulders. He bears our sorrows. And we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. In other words, he's going to die this cruel, violent death. Why? So that he might carry the burden 
our iniquities, avon. He might carry them, and as the video point out very clearly, in carrying them, that's that sense of forgiveness that God gives because someone has taken responsibility for our iniquities. Jesus has taken responsibilities for our iniquities, so much so that it says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. In other words, we have peace with God, and we can be made whole because of who God is. It's an unexpected thing that God has initiated. Because when you look at Isaiah 53, all of Israel for 39 chapters is facing this judgment for their lawlessness, for their sin, for their iniquity. And then God says, you know what though? There's hope. A suffering servant will be your savior and he will take all of this upon himself. It's something that he initiates. It's something he carries in order to forgive us. Why? Because verse 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, none of us, no one, zero, nada, zilch, zip, are good. We are separated from God. Because of our sin problem. We don't love God like we should. We don't love others like we should. We wallow sometimes in iniquity. We do things that are wicked. We do tell lies. Like Jesus said, in our minds, we may be committing murder. We may be committing adultery in our minds. Maybe we don't do it publicly. Maybe nobody else sees it, but God sees it. We have a problem. But God says, I have a solution. Not works, not religion, not just doing things, but Jesus. God gives an unexpected solution to a people who do not deserve mercy and grace. But because of his great love, he gives mercy and grace. It's something that we don't earn. It is something that we receive. And the frightening thing is, not just for me as a pastor looking at myself, is to think that people in our church, people in any church, people in every church, whether it's a, even missions organizations, parachurch organizations, people and leaders who have heard the gospel over and over again will still hear the words, depart from me, you workers who practice lawlessness. Because we have never, never come to Jesus only. We have settled in our hearts that religion is enough. Religion is good enough. Why don't we hunger for God? Why don't we thirst for God? Why don't we pursue God? Because to us, we are satisfied with a small measure of the Spirit. We are satisfied with a small measure of religion, just enough to get us through the day to recognize I'm a good person. When scripture clearly says you are not, and all your goodness, all your righteousness is as a filthy rag, a leprosy-soaked, pus-ridden rag that does nothing and should just be thrown out. My prayer is that at the end of this message, perhaps you're angry with me. Perhaps I'm talking to nobody at Harvest, which I really, really hope is true. But my fear is that if there are people who have settled for, settling for, who have simply settled for religion 
and not a relationship with Jesus, which I think now after a year of being in COVID, you, you have a good idea of where you're at. Have we come to that place where we have surrendered our lives to Jesus and Jesus alone and said, here is my alone, my bentness, my crookedness, my brokenness, and I give it to you. Amen. Well, Harvest family, let me close with this benediction. May you experience the grace and mercy of the suffering servant, our Savior, Jesus. He has carried our own, our iniquities, our sin, our lawlessness, our wickedness, even our religion. He has taken that all upon his shoulders. And may you rest in that and nothing else and find him to be absolutely satisfying, purifying your heart, your mind, so that as you continue to follow Jesus, you will follow Jesus and not a religion. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.